The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. The second longest running Christmas special in history is Charlie Brown Christmas is the second longest, and just because now you're wondering, the first longest is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Two classics. Uh, On our family, we watch uh, Charlie Brown almost every year, and there's just something so innocent, so enchanting about this little animated film called Charlie Brown that's been running since the 60s continuously in our culture. And so um, there's something beautiful about this little film because Charlie Brown, very familiar character, he is on a quest he is, is in a little bit of a personal crisis in this moment. He is depressed, but he says, but it's Christmas time. Why am I depressed if it's Christmas time? This is supposed to be the happiest season. And so he says, maybe I, if I'm not feeling it, maybe I just don't understand what Christmas is all about. So he begins to go on a quest and he starts talking to all his friends. He tries different things before in the end he realizes what the season is all about. But maybe you have never seen Charlie Brown Christmas, and so along the way, you're going to see some parts of this movie. So let's just kind of get the the beginning. Why does Charlie Brown begin this quest? Let's check it out. Take a look at this clip. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. turned your name into a put-down, okay? That's when you know you're the Charlie Browniest, as if he'd be offended at that. Anyway, Charlie's going to go on a journey through this season. His friends are going to be moderately helpful along the way, and he's in the search to figure out what is Christmas all about. But the thing that is just so enchanting about this movie, it's more than it's just a, a charming animated film from the 60s, but it's, there's a chord that it strikes. It speaks like truth coming out of the mouth of this little cartoon character. And he's talking about the emotions of the Christmas season. And if you think about it, this is a, a season where emotions run high. It's a season when the emotional expectation runs high. I mean, think of what we sing. We sing this is the happiest season of all. We talk about glad tidings, we talk about joy to the whole world, peace to all mankind, good news spreading out. I mean, there's like these high expectations. There's, there's this building expectation for the traditions that we do each year, that they go right. There, there, uh, there's harmony when everyone gets together. It's sentimental. We think back on, on Christmases from years back. We look forward to what's coming next. There's a, an expectation at this season. Emotions run high, and there's emotional expectations that run high as well. And you might be here, and you might be saying, you know, honestly, I kind of feel a little bit more like Charlie Brown this year. 
I'm honest, this year I know that this is supposed to be that magical season. It usually maybe jumps me out of the funk that I'm in. But if I'm honest, I'm feeling a little bit more like Charlie Brown this year. And, and it, it, my emotions are playing tricks on me. There's difficulty in my life. I, there's confusion in my life. There's stress in my life. Emotions have a powerful impact on how our life goes. They're tricky. And we're going to talk a little bit about this this morning. Um, we're going to look in, the, in Micah chapter 5. If you'd open to Micah chapter 5, we're going to talk about our emotions and how our emotions affect us. But we're going to go all the way back into what we call the Old Testament to a prophet by the name of Micah to kind of set the stage. This was written 700 years before the time of Jesus. Look at Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now pause with me here for a second. Some of you are like, okay, that doesn't sound super Christmassy yet. Okay, so when is this going to get Christmassy? All right. Before we get to the part where this prophet Micah announces this hope that's going to be coming, We have to set the stage for what the context is. He's about to announce a hope. He's about to point to Jesus. But before, let's look at what's happening. They're in Judah. He's speaking to God's people, Israel, specifically the country of Judah, the people of Jerusalem. And right now, there's a siege against them. Literally, there's Assyrians uh, camped outside of their city ready to attack them. Like, can you imagine how terrifying that would be that if you went to the edge of your city, looked over the wall, you see the enemy camped outside. That would be horrifying, ready to kill you. The Assyrians are camped outside. Now, we know from history that God would eventually spare them from the Assyrians, and it was another couple hundred years when the Babylonians came in, eventually conquered Jerusalem, and then God brought them back to Jerusalem. But at this point, they don't know that whole story. They just know that there's Assyrians camped out, and their lives are threatened. So this is a really difficult time. And this prophet says, okay, muster your troops. Get your troops ready. This is a difficult season. Be ready for battle. There's sieges being laid against you. And then he says this interesting phrase. He says, and they have struck the cheek of your judge. In other words, I mean, can you think of, there's, there's few things more insulting than someone just smacking you in the face. I mean, if someone spits in your face, that's insulting. But if someone smacks you in the face, that's insulting. It's an insult and they have assaulted you as well. And so here's what he's saying. Your judge, your ruler, whoever your rulers are in your city, they have been smacked in the face. Actually, with a rod, they've hit you in the face. In other words, they have complete disregard for your ruler. In fact, the people that are living in this city, their their approval of these rulers, their feeling safe with these rulers is probably way down because the rulers, in other words, did not in any capacity prepare them for this or prevent this situation that they're currently in. So it's in the midst of this really dark moment that we get verse 2, and this is what we're going to settle into this morning. Look at what it says. But you... O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, 
from ancient days. In the midst of this really dark moment, this moment of hopelessness, this moment of confusion, this moment of concern, this moment of danger, this moment of fear, maybe even of terror, there's a little moment of promise. He says, a ruler, I I am going to raise up a ruler for you. Now, if you're the people of Israel, you know your history. You know that when God is about to deliver you from your enemies, he does it through a judge, through a ruler. He did it through, if you can think back, if you know anything about the the history of Israel, you know when they were enslaved under Pharaoh in Egypt, he rose up a leader named Moses, saved them from being enslaved. He rose up uh, another leader by the name of Joshua. Joshua was a great military leader. They They settled in their promised land through Joshua. He protected them from other armies through leaders like Gideon and Deborah and Samson and eventually raised up the warrior king David. Like God has appointed these leaders to protect them in their darkest hour. And so what they're probably craving to hear is as I am going to raise up a ruler for you. This is, going, this is your hope. It's going to be, I'm raising up a ruler. But I want you to see, and this is what we're going to dig into, it's not just any ruler. It's not just, hey, I'm going to raise up someone in your generation for the sake of your generation. I'm not just going to raise up a guy who's going to be the man of the hour. No, it's bigger than that, what he's saying. The ruler he's talking about is bigger. He says, this is someone, did you notice what it said? From ancient of days. This is not just a ruler. It's more than that. He, he is resonating with a deep, a deep hope planted in their hearts from generations before. Let's rewind a little bit. There has been a promise in their culture from the very beginning about a ruler that God would raise up among them. If you went all the way back, he's speaking to the nation of Judah. If you go all the way back when there was Judah the person from whom this entire tribe and eventual nation descended from, when there's actually the guy named Judah, and he was standing at the, at the bedside of his father named Israel, the actual guy from whom all Israel is descended from. Judah is standing next to his father. His father Israel's lying in his deathbed. And Israel brings all 12 of his sons by him. And these 12 sons end up being tribes. And he, he brings all of these patriarchs, these 12 sons, he brings them by him. And here's what Israel says to Judah when Judah comes by to this particular son, a middle son. This is what he says to Judah. The, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Can you imagine being the other brothers and hearing this? He's going on, he says, he's going by all of his sons. His sons are coming by as he's going to speak final words and he says these blessings to each one of these sons. But when Judah comes by, he says, but you, you will have the authority and ruler you'll be the ruler it will come from you your tribe your descendants will be where the rule is anchored so i mean this is all the way from the beginning they've been waiting for this kind of authority to come but it doesn't just stop at judah a couple hundred years later god has allowed a king to be established in israel and there's a guy named david he's from the tribe of judah a descendant of judah there's a guy named david and this is what a prophet one day comes to david and this is what's told to david look at this It says to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
ever. A prophet comes to David and says, now that you're king, here's what you need to know. This is from God. Your reign will last. Through you, your, your, your reign, a dynasty will be established forever. God is narrowing the focus. He starts with Judah. It will be from your tribe. He goes to David and it says it will be in your house. And then he adds a new wrinkle to David. He says, and that's not just going to be a strong leadership coming from your house. It will last forever. A couple hundred years later, we get the passage that we just read. It's from Micah and it's where, again, there's a reminder. There will be a ruler that will come that I'm going to rise up and he will rule forever. But it's not just a a dynasty. It's not just a lineage. He says it will be a particular person. There will be one ruler that fulfills what was said to David, that fulfills what was said to Judah. It will be one ruler and his reign will last forever. God is preparing them, preparing them, preparing them and it, for a particular ruler. And I want to just stop and sit in the gravity of, that, of, of how God has prepared his people because it adds a depth to what one day an angel by the name of Gabriel says to a young woman who even though she's a virgin, she's going to all of a sudden find out she's pregnant, named Mary. Gabriel appears to her, and this is what he says to her. Listen to this out of Luke chapter 1, verse 30. It says this. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, look at this, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." says to Judah, it will be rule from your tribe. He says to David, it will be a forever rule out of your house. He says through Micah, it's not just a lineage and a dynasty, it's a person. And then he says to Mary, that person is in your womb. His name, you're going to call him Jesus. And his rule will be forever. I mean, look at the gravity of this passage in Micah chapter 5. This is not just any ruler. It's the ruler. Now there's another wrinkle that it says here in Micah chapter 5. It says it's a ruler. It says it's a ruler that has been from ancient of days. He's been promised for ancient of days. To Mary, he says he's the son of the most high. He's actually the son of God. So he's actually not just have been foretold since ancient of days. He's God in, going to be God in the flesh. He has been existent from ancient of days. But there's something else that this passage in Micah 5 says. It tells the detail of where he was to be born. In Micah 5, it says, And you, Bethlehem, this small little village outside of Jerusalem, this ruler, this king will come from out of you. It's this passage right here, Micah chapter 5, that makes, puts Bethlehem on the map for the rest of history. It's Micah chapter 5, which is why we read, or we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's Micah chapter 5, which is why if you were to go over to Israel today, you could go into the church and the nativity in Bethlehem, and it's the oldest continuously running church in the entire world, right there in Bethlehem, on the historic place where Jesus was born. 
It's this moment where God reveals, he gives humanity a 700-year heads up that the ruler is going to be born in this little village. That's what makes the nativity story so interesting in Luke, where it explains how a girl who's, who's engaged, betrothed to a guy that lives up north in Nazareth of Galilee, end up having their baby in Bethlehem and why that's so significant. Joseph comes in to his fiancée, says, hey, I don't know if you heard, there's a census, and I know that you are very pregnant, and this is the worst time for us to be traveling, but we have to travel down to the place of my ancestry. I have to go back to Bethlehem um, and and register there, so you've got to come with me because you are my fiancée, my betrothed, and they travel to Bethlehem, and sure enough, they give birth to Jesus there in Bethlehem. Now, if you know the rest of the story, they have to flee for their lives. They have to go down to Egypt. They stay in Egypt for a while. And then when they come back into Israel, they settle in this town, their home in Nazareth. And so Jesus is forever referred to as Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he grew up. But I want you to see how significant this small little verse in Micah chapter 5 is. Their expectation of the Messiah, the promised king, coming from Bethlehem is not lost on God's people. In fact, there's a really interesting interaction where later in his ministry, 30 some odd years after he's born, he's been teaching, he's been doing these miracles, and there's a debate a little bit about Jesus. And here's what it says. This is John chapter 7, verse 40. Look what they say. There's a debate by the, by the people about who he is. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. See how significant this detail is? Significant that he was born in Bethlehem. It's powerful in history to see how God arranged it for this couple from Nazareth to give birth to their child in Bethlehem. But here's what this passage does for us as we're looking into this passage. It helps us see the gravity of who it is that arrived on the scene that we celebrate at Christmas time. This is the one from the Ancient of Days. That God took great care to tell us exactly when he was coming, the little village that he was going to be born in. This is the one promised to the, to the tribe and then to the king and then to the people. It was promised this whole time. There's a gravity to who this is. This was not just a great teacher in his day. This is not just a, a rabbi that really had an impact on history. This is a, a ruler that was going to be born. But it's more than that. And this is, just should give us pause for a second as we consider the gravity of what this is communicating. This is not a ruler. This is the ruler that all of history has been working towards, that God has been preparing his people for all, we see all through the scripture, preparing his people for when the ruler would arrive on the scene. Who is Jesus? He's not a king. He's the king. It says later in scripture, it says in, in Revelation, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that God will raise him up and make his name above all names so that the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Yes, he is Lord. He is king. He has authority. He is in charge. 
This passage gives us the weight that history has been waiting for their king to arrive. Now here's a question for us, and this should be a sobering question for us. Okay, we, we know that he's the king of kings. We can sing about that. We can think about that. We, we know that there's a ruler that's coming that's, that's giving us hope. But is that just like a metaphysical truth that we just think about and, and know? Is it just a, a theological principle? Or do we feel the weight of the fact that we have a ruler? Each of us individually, we have a ruler and his name is Jesus. I don't know if you've ever gone to work for, had someone you had a friend, friendship with, and then you decided to do business together. Maybe you went to work for that friend. I don't know if you've ever had that dynamic. Or maybe a family member. You decided to join the family business, or you decided to get one of your family members, and, and you'd start working together. I had that, that once. Um, a friend of mine asked me to be on an advisory um, a board for him, and, and so I'm on that that uh, board, and, and I'll never forget kind of the first time where I realized, whoa, the dynamic has shifted a little bit because he has authority. Have you ever been in business with a, a family member and all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, I'm feeling the teeth of the fact that this person actually is in charge of me? And I'll never forget that moment when uh, I gave out a suggestion. He's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is a new wrinkle in our relationship. And it's something you have to adjust to. It's one thing when someone's theoretically, okay, yeah, that'll be fine. I'll work for you. And it's one thing when there's someone who's theoretically the authority, but there's another moment when all of a sudden you feel the teeth of someone's authority over you. Let me ask you a question. Do we feel the teeth of the fact that Jesus is the king? He's our king. He's your king He is the ruler actively, currently, right now, over all of the universe and over your life. He is your king. Do we feel the teeth of that authority in our life? Or are are there other things that compete to rule our lives? You know, I think in in this season... There's many things that compete for what's ruling our life, but in this season especially, there's one dimension of who we are that really competes for control over how we live. And I think Charlie Brown was, was pretty close on it. He talks about, man, this is one of those seasons where I, I'm supposed to feel it. Like in fa- and the fact that I don't feel it must mean that there's something wrong with me. Charlie Brown is putting his finger on a truth that our emotions control us and guide us and steer us much more than we want. And as human beings, often we just defer to how we feel and our emotions rather than thinking, man, is this Is this the right thing? We sometimes just defer to our emotions. And this is all the way from the beginning. There's a a conversation that happens uh, at our dinner table very commonly between myself and my three-year-old daughter um, regarding the green beans on her plate. And I'll say, um, okay, sweetheart, you, you need to have a bite of the green beans. And there's an argument that takes place. There are words. Sometimes there are tears. And then when I stop crying, we continue the conversation. And... 
I'll say, look, if you, before you get up from the table, you need, to have, you need to try everything on your plate. You need to have a bite of the green beans. And especially if you're wanting a cookie, we need to do some serious work on those green beans before there's going to be a cookie appearing in this situation. And she responds with this, and it's in her mind, I think it's like the trump card, but um, I'm ready for it. And she says, but I don't want to eat the green beans. And I usually say something like, I am fully aware of that truth. Never was it lost on me that you did not want to consume green beans. I'm fully aware that you don't want to eat these green beans, but the the fact is you're going to have to eat some of these green beans before we move on. And sometimes I wonder, we can see that in our kids and like, okay, come on, I know you don't want to eat the green beans, but you need to eat the green beans. And I wonder if in the rest of our life, even when we're adults, we kind of still revert back to that mentality. I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to eat the green beans. I don't want to do this. So often, I wonder if more so than we would care to admit, our emotions are what rule us. Like, let's ask some some challenging questions of of our hearts. What's more likely to determine how I treat somebody? My emotions or King Jesus? Man, it's one of those seasons where I'm just, it's stressful. I'm stressed out and I'm sorry I bit your head off, but man, I am stressed out right now. I know I'm walking around irritable and I'm I'm hard to be around, but man, there's just a lot going on. You don't understand, you don't understand the stress that I feel. Sometimes we kind of just defer, well, this is how I feel. So of course, that's why I'm going to treat you like that because this is how I feel. What's more likely to determine how we treat someone, our, our emotions or King Jesus? Well, I know that they're coming to Christmas dinner, but man, I, I am sick and tired of dealing with them. And, and you know what? I, I'm just going to, I can't say anything nice, so I'm just going to give them the cold shoulder. That's the best that I can do. And I'm just going to put up with the fact that they're going to be there, but they're not getting any warmth, any hospitality from me. What's more likely to determine how I treat someone? Is it my emotions or is it King Jesus? I know that I'm supposed to uh, theoretically forgive someone for, for what they've done, but. I'm just not there. I don't feel it, man. You don't understand what they've done. But what if Jesus says, I am fully aware of how you feel, but I'm commanding you to forgive because I've forgiven you much. What if you say, look, in this season, man, there is so much tension because relationships and the expectation on these relationships and, man, you don't understand what's happening in, in my marriage right now. It's just a really difficult season and I just don't feel it anymore. I, at some point, we fell out of love. We're just, we don't love each other anymore and I, I'm just, I'm barely holding on or maybe I'm done. But what if, what if love is just not something that our emotions rule? But what if love is something Jesus says, yeah, that's not what it's about. I've commanded you to love. I've commanded you to love him. I've commanded you to love her. Love is a choice where you choose to be obedient and committed to that person. Your emotions are not what rules you. It's King Jesus. I wonder what's most likely to determine what action we take. Not just how I treat someone, but what's more likely to determine what action I take? Is it my emotions or is it King Jesus? You know, I know that someone once told me in the Bible, it says that I'm not supposed to do this, but you know, it just kind of feels right. You know, I'm in this dating relationship and I know that, you know, I heard once that I'm supposed to handle this dating relationship this way and, and, but you know, I I know that that's out there, but this is what feels right to me. Well, is what feels right what's ruling? 
Is it, is it my emotions or is it King Jesus that determine my actions, determine what I do, determine how I handle myself? Because the reality of this text is it's reminding us that the one that was born in that manger is not just a significant person. It's the significant person, the ruler and king over all the universe yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So this moment he is king, I owe him my allegiance. So what's more likely to determine how I treat someone? What's more likely to determine my actions? What's more likely to determine how I make a decision? I wonder if there's someone here today that's saying, you know, man, in this season I'm, I'm wrestling, there's a big decision that I have to make in my life. I don't know if I'm going to take this path or this path. And I'm wrestling, I'm just trying to discern, man, do, do I want this one or do I want this one? And I'm, I'm really just trying to think, which would I rather have? But what if that's not the question? What if the question is not, which do I want? What if the question is, Jesus, you're the king, what do you want? I'm not here to discern what I want. I'm not taking all this time in wrestling to determine which would I rather have. I am simply trying, taking this time to determine, Jesus, what is it that you want for me because you're the king and I want to feel the teeth of that authority in my life. And when we look back 700 years before that God prepared the world for the ruler that came, it reminds us this is significant. It is the king over all that came. He is our king. Do we feel his rule in our life? Do we sense it? Do we acquiesce to it? Do we submit to it? To the fact that he is king. You know, you might be here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I really need to do some business. And I, what I need to do is I, I, I'm right now determining this part of my life based on what I feel, what I want, and I realize I need to surrender this to King Jesus. And please, this is the time to surrender that. But some of you may be here today and you say, look, ah, man, even just seeing little cartoon Charlie Brown, man, that struck a chord. This is that kind of Christmas for me. It's that type of holiday season for me where I am, man, I am struggling. I, I, this is not a good season. I am stressed. I, I am concerned. I am fearful. I am not in a good place this Christmas season. I understand exactly what Charlie Brown is saying. And I don't know where all the joy is supposed to come from, all the happiness is supposed to come from, but it's going to take more than Christmas tree ornaments to get me there. Well, can I tell you what this passage is saying, this hope that was to this, these people of Judah in their time of need, this is to bring hope and joy and gladness and peace into your life today? Do you realize learning that he is the ruler is not just pushing us to submit, but it's a reminder of our hope? Can I tell you the good news that he's looking down and saying, yes, I'm the king and I'm the ruler, and he's saying, don't you know that I'm good at it? Don't you know that I'm a capable ruler? Don't you know I'm a trustworthy ruler? Don't you know that I can handle it on my shoulders? Don't you know that I'm not confused? I'm not concerned. I'm not fearful. I'm not stressed out. I know exactly the timing. Don't you know he's saying I have full control over the universe? I am the king, and rightfully so, and that role is not beyond my capacity. And he's looking to you today and saying, yes, I'm asking you to submit to my rule. And he's saying at the same time, I'm saying, you can rest in my rule. You can rest that I am capable as your king to lead you and to handle it. And I will work all of these difficult, confusing circumstances that are confusing to you, but not to me, Jesus says. He says, I will work all of these circumstances together 
for your good according to my plan. He says, so today, even in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your worry, you can celebrate and choose joy because you have a king who's more than up to the challenge. And he says, just rest in my rule and take a step of obedience and you can know that you will, you will walk in the way that I have designed for you to walk. We can rejoice that Jesus is king and he's ruler. Some of you are here this morning, I think, and you're kind of standing at this line and maybe say, look, I, I know about Jesus, I know about God, but here's my struggle. Yeah, I, I know about Jesus, but I just I know the moment I step over that line, there's things in my life I'm going to need to do differently. There's decisions I'm going to have to make different. There's a part of my life I'm just going to have to give up, and I'm just not sure I can do that. Man, that's just a lot to ask. How can I trust Jesus that much to give him control over my life? Well, you can trust him because of this. Do you know what the first thing he did as king the first thing he did is he came down to earth, died on the cross, crucified in agony. Why did he die? He was paying for your sins and my sins. Paid for our sins, purchased with his suffering and his life. He purchased our eternity so that we can be permanently forgiven and live in eternity in heaven one day. That's the kind of king you serve. He sacrificed everything for you. He's that kind of king. You can trust him with your life. For some of you this morning, it's time to take that step and just surrender to him. Accept the fact that he's forgiven you of all your sins and begin following after him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? you're in that moment where you're wanting to take that step and just simply accept him, accept what he did for you to save you, but also just accept him as your king, then you can begin that journey with just a simple prayer right now this morning. This is just a moment that's between you and God. And so say these words I'm about to say, say these words in your heart to God. Just simply say, Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to save me. Thank you for being a king that suffers as a servant for his subjects. Say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. I accept your rule in my life. I want to follow after you, give you control. I do this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.